Oh, Precision C. Oh, He's sponsor. Thinking. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think my problem was I had I was doing an interview about Pebble Mine and I actually set up my Sony cam to be able to stream for Zoom or whatever. And I must have tweaked something in there. And then I realized that nobody needs to see me in 4K. <laughs> it's just not good. Not good. That's no. their problem, though. They can deal with the footage and make it blurry or whatever. It's only pretty people that can be on 4K. I think th- I think they needed to do me like with the witness protection lighting. I'll blurred like, out. Do something like or this. Or just be behind, behind a shower curtain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then change. The, I use the voice modulator so they don't know it's me. Yeah. yeah. Well, glad we got that straightened out. I saw you. I thought you. I thought you were going to start cheering there for a second, Drew. When I was taking my sweatshirt off, I was just taking it off to show off our wonderful sponsor, their precision camera shirt. I saw you getting dollar just, bills out though. I was just wondering what was going on. Like as soon as he hits record, you start ripping off your clothes. <laughs> Surprise! Oh, <laughs> wild and exposed podcast, huh? Yeah, no one wants to see that. <laughs> well, anyway, okay. Now that we got that out of the way, I actually I'm being hyper productive right now because I'm sitting here talking to you guys, learning about macro photography. All the while, I'm shooting a time lapse outside, but I'm in here where it's warm. I, I've it's a smarter, not harder approach. I think you've figured it out. I think, do you have a cam ranger or do you know what a cam ranger is? No. To both of those. So questions. it's a, you can remote run your camera from, I don't know, a hundred yards away. So you could potentially be just running your camera if you just set it outside your house and just run your whole Aurora time-lapse through the cam ranger. You know what? There was a white gear Falcon within a hundred yards of my house. Actually, I should mount my telephoto lens on a turret on my roof. And then I could just sit here and, you know, control it that way. You're mm-hmm. on to something. Mm-hmm. Get a bunch of ravens. And so if you mount it onto a DJI gimbal, you can control it with your phone and a raven eye. And you can start to move it. And then it will move it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. That's 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 a ticket right there. Done For everybody done. that's listening and not watching on YouTube, Drew is is showing his... What is that? It's a gimbal. Which one? It is the Ronin SC2. Okay. Got it off yeah. a buddy of mine. So yeah, you can just put that on the roof and then just run it with your phone, right? I'm never going to have to go outside again. Well, who um, who wants to when it's minus 27 degrees <laughs> Celsius? It's warmed up to minus 27. <laughs> yeah, warmed up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you heard Brandon on earlier, he chimed in just a little bit ago. Brandon, uh, you're coming to us from your fine office in what is it littleton colorado it's in the basement of littleton basement the basement of littleton yeah well i guess a basement in littleton there's many basements no i uh, connected i I got out today and went shooting and i found well i went filming and i found 10 long-eared owls whoa yeah, it was pretty exciting. The first one was uh, one cluster because they clustered together during the winter seasons. And there were seven of those. And then I kept walking around and I found three. And the three, there was one that was out enough that I could actually 
get some filming done and get some cool pictures. It like itched itself, you know. It wasn't cold enough for it to hunt at all, so they were all sleepy. But it was cool. Still cool. Very cool. They're one of my favorites. Maybe this is a good segue, uh, Michael. But we have some exciting news. We got our first sighting on our trail cam. And we went up and checked that. So maybe you want to talk about that. You should. You were the one that that had a pop-up on your uh, camera first. So, like, we set up. We've talked about these camera traps a lot, but we have these cellular ones above our GoPro camera traps. And so at 6 p.m. and 6 a.m., I get like a notification of your camera has new pictures. And it's always like, okay, let me see the snow that blew last night or let me see the deer's butt. I open up this picture and it's like this blurry image. And I'm like, what is that? And I start zooming in and looking at it. And all of a sudden I see a a black tail and a body that's moving. And I was like, oh my goodness, we got a cat. And so like 601, I fire off a text to Michael and I'm like, we got a cat. And it's a blurry picture. You can't see anything. But these cameras also take video. And it was at the middle of the night. So the GoPro didn't get it. So we don't have 4K footage of it yet. But we got 1080 footage of this mountain lion walking across this field, walking up to this boulder that's this outcropping that looks over the entire city of Denver. And it stands there for three or four seconds and just like looks majestic. And then it walks out of the picture. It's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty darn cool. It really is cool. I hope we can get it. I don't know. I don't know. I want to have Casey on the podcast again because. I have so many questions. It's like <laughs> everything's at night for the most part. Cause we can, we've been getting foxes too. Right. But it'll be like a one forty-five AM. A Fox went tooling by our camera and these GoPros do not have enough light to shoot that late. So it's basically, I don't even think it's triggering the GoPros cause I'm not getting any black footage at all. And I think way the way the GoPros work is they just analyze the scene. And then if something moves, then that's when it starts recording. Well, if it's black, it's black, it's black. There's no, you're not going to see any movement. So the cameras just don't even record. <clears throat> but I want to ask Casey, is this like, will the mountain lions get more active as the days get longer and then, you know, it starts warming up a little bit? I mean, do we have a shot at getting daylight? Even if it's crepuscular, right? That would, I don't care. I mean, we actually, we started out with our GoPros with neutral density because we're like, oh, well, we need to, we need to err on the side of, you know, a bright sunny day and, you know, getting some usable footage. But just what was it last time we went up there or the time before, we basically took the neutral densities off and went back with clear. Because we got this elk. Yeah. Just because they're trying to shoot neutral density at these, of 30 minutes before sunrise or 30 minutes after sunset. And there's just not enough light to do it. And the whole goal of this whole project is getting some sort of predator footage with the GoPro camera trap. So that's where we're at. We're getting closer. What was the cloud cover for, for this? I mean, we're just coming off of full moon, right? Let's see. This was, uh, what time was almost, I mean, it was on the 27th i think yeah, it was, it was, the, it was the, January a week and a half 27th. ago yeah everybody but get out your photo actual, pills 
It the actual thing was um, waxing. The shot was actually at six, wasn't it? Like six thirty, six twelve, a.m. or p.m. Yeah, so it was just after dark. Hmm. Just after dark, but we can see it. I mean, I'm sure you can see it big time up there in Churchill. Drew the daylight. Can you see the changing in the days? Just getting longer, faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just everybody's got more energy. A little pep in your step. Uh, yeah. yeah. Except it was minus sixty there for a spell, so nobody was stepping anywhere. Was that the wind chill or was that the actual? <laughs> oh, that was that was the wind chill. That was the wind chill. I don't even. Woo! But it was it was cold. But the furnace stayed on, and so we're good. Man, that's cold. It was fifty degrees Fahrenheit today, which is about ten degrees Celsius for the rest of the world. Like it was a beautiful day today in Denver. Yeah, I was out and about, and I saw a lot of people out in shorts and t-shirts. And I mean, it's, that's what you get when you get to fifty, you know, after you've been in a cold winter. So, right. <laughs> all right. So we need to get a couple of things done before we get to our guest. One of which is Precision Camera, our sponsor. And you can see Brandon's shirt if you're watching YouTube. He's he's representing. We have the same promo. You guys are hearing a broken record: fifty off of five hundred. And that's what you type in on the coupon code when you go to their website and buy something. And uh, the other thing we have are our tours. And we were talking about it off camera or off podcast. Drew, you still have some spots available for next year's polar bear season? Yeah, actually, we just released the dates for next year's polar bear season. So if anybody's interested to come to Churchill, uh, see the polar bears, go to... Uh, discoverchurchill.com and then all the dates are up now. So what is that? Is that like what? November? No. Well, October 15th to November 15th, something like that. Yeah. Right. It right in there. Um, basically the, yeah, mid October to mid November. And that's when the bears are, you know, honestly, the bears start turning up in July <laughs> around here. I think the first, first polar bear I saw this year was uh, July 13th. And so um, we've actually expanded. We, we there's some of my best polar bear viewing last year was uh, way earlier in the fall. So pretty excited. We're trying to get Ron up here uh, to do some uh, some earlier season polar bear stuff, and uh, it's just exciting because I've you know we've been podcasting together. We haven't actually met in person. <laughs> so oh, you better be ready. He's a handful. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> so. If, if, uh, so some of your tours are going to be in August this year too, right? So that's the, uh, more of the summer beluga whale fireweed kind of stuff, right? And, uh, but and you still have the potential of having polar bears at that time. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely see polar bears that time frame. Um, we've got actually August is, it's all booked up. That one's full. Uh, that one's full, but we have a couple departures in early September uh, that still have spots on them. And that's just a beautiful time to be in Churchill. And it's still, uh, you can get the Churchill trifecta where there's still beluga whales. We'll, we'll charter a Zodiac and we'll go out on the water and, and look for beluga whales. Uh, we'll definitely see the polar bears. And then September, uh, we've got remarkably clear skies in September. So we generally have some pretty epic Aurora. So if you're looking to, uh, to come look for polar bears and Aurora and things like that when it's not freezing cold. I know I talk a lot on here about how cold it is. Well, just come in September. It's perfectly civilized. 
uh, and you can still get, and actually the polar bears in the, the fall, uh, as the, the tundra starts to change color, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And if you ask people around here, they'll, they'll tell you their favorite time is that, that September, August, September time frame. And this is something you guys are starting. This will be the first year for that, right? But it's the plan is to do that every year after. So if you can't get in on this year's, you can always do it in 2024. Well, this is this is the second year we're doing it. Um, lucky for everyone, we we tested it out on other people first, which is <laughs> which is a good way to do it. And it was a raging success. Actually, this is the third year we've done it. Uh, it's been a raging success. And so uh, now it's it's ready for prime time. And so it's all all the details are on the website. So what are those tour uh, length? Is that five days, seven days? What is it? Oh, you're grilling it me here. I, I should know all well, this you stuff. You just give me a <laughs> snapshot. You don't have to have it perfect because then go it's, to the website and check it out. But Well, it's all based on because there aren't as many flights uh, to Churchill that oh. time of year. So uh, it'll generally be uh, like a Monday through Friday. So you'd fly in and then we'll, we'll spend the mid- middle of the week going out looking for stuff and then, and then fly home on Friday. Um, cause they're not, they're, they're balking at doing weekend flights and, and things like that. So it's really all built around when we can get people in and out. And then it actually, it works well for people's, uh, busy, uh, work schedules that time of year. If you just have a week off, um, you can, you can escape to Churchill if you will. Plus the busy, I mean, everywhere is busy in the fall for a photographer, right? That just is the time when everything is really awesome looking and lots of activity. So. Huh. Well, I want to come up there and do that one of these days. Uh, the fireweed, that's more in July though, right? Uh, Augusta Foley, that's August, end of July into August. Yeah. I still want to get that polar bear and fireweed shot. Well, come on up. Let's go do it. I know. I know. I know a spot. Well, we need, Don't tell. we need video. So we're going to have to be really stealthy about that. All right. And we still have spots on the bear tour. So if anybody's interested in hitting up, what is it? Last week in August, first week in September, brown bears on the coast. The Katmai right. Coast. Katmai Coast. It's awesome. Yeah. August 27th through the September 3rd is the first trip. And then the second trip is September 3rd through September 9th. And I think we're getting close. I, I know Precision was going to send out an email to fill those suckers up. So if you're interested, Give Dave a call and all that information is on the website. You can just call Dave and reserve your spot. And then the Loons trip has one spot open. And then there's, uh, I forget if there's one or two spots open for Yellowstone still. So In the winter. They're so starting 2024. for 2024 for those. So they're starting to fill up. But a few spots left. And then you're going to want to go on, save time to go on a tour to Costa Rica with our guest that's coming up. Cause she's got some pretty incredible macro photography that I think if you're into that sort of thing and you're into warm climates, doing a workshop with her might be kind of fun. I didn't know I was into these things until I started looking at the photos. I know the photos she sent over for the show notes are amazing. They're motivating. Actually I have some new homework because of that. Oh yeah. What's our new homework? So we haven't put out the last homework cause we were a little slow on getting that last podcast out. But that one's closed, and our new one will be what? So this one is going to be feeding with our guest. We are going to do macro. So I want to see the wild and exposed macro photography. So tag 
WE homework. And I want to see macro shots this for this little time period. I don't know if it's going to be two weeks, a week, a month. I don't know. We're just going to kind of play this by ear. It's a moving target. Yeah. The thing is, is you don't need a macro lens. We were talking earlier, you can use an extension tube with a big lens and get a little bit closer focus. I mean, it doesn't have to be an actual macro lens. Heck, with the iPhones, the new iPhones have a macro mode, right? Right. So it can be anything. It can be from your phone, from your camera, from your long lens with extension tubes. Just give us something that's macro-ish. And then... Uh, did you guys do your homework? I have a shot that uh, could have been great. I didn't post it yet, but I can talk about it. We can put it in the show notes. Oh, well, it's not going to be much. But yeah, uh, <clears throat> happened today with these owls. I was, so the long-eared owls tend to be in the back towards the base of the trees. And this thing's itching, and I had it in autofocus because I just wasn't thinking. And it was focusing fine well i switched over to my second setting because i wanted 120 frames a second and it switched my focusing system from birds to people and it started itching and it was like there's no person here oh look a branch and this thing stopped itching with its with its like leg up here and it looks at me and all i got was a branch <laughs> you can see it look at me so i mean that's cool but it's almost worse because you see what you missed that is and almost that awesome video. yeah so that would have been a cool still image oh it would have been cool still image video like it would have just been cool if i witnessed it with my own eye but instead i was looking at a blurry image on the back of a a camera that's a groaner <laughs> I like that name better. <laughs> the groaner. Uh, I don't have one to show because, or even talk about because mine, there's so many. I've hundreds of them. So probably thousands of them. And I didn't do my homework because I was too busy, busy editing podcasts. What about you, Drew? You know, I actually, I stumbled across the, the image I talked about. Uh, when we were talking about the almost awesome wildlife shots and then I got distracted by something else. I don't know, baby diapers or right. chicken nuggets or whatever. And, uh, but I do have it. I, I think I'll be able to recreate my, uh, file path name to be able to get, get to that. <laughs> uh, so I'll be able to, to, to come up with the original image that, that spawned this homework. I love it. And well, if you're not going to talk about or show it, then I can still do that too. I will find mine will be video though. It'll it what it's it's probably going to be a butt, yeah, some sort of wildlife butt, right? Well, no, I no, no, because hit record now. No butts, like there's a market for that, like bear butts in particular. <laughs> like I found, I've got an app on my phone that lets me put googly eyes, and like, if you uh, if you take a bear butt. Polar bear, brown bear, black bear, it doesn't matter. And then if you put two googly eyes right above the tail, and then the tail is the nose, like, it's comic gold, really. Like, you it, can't go, it's a can't whole go new species. It's not winning awards, but it should. <laughs> but there's a market for it. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I haven't found it, but <laughs> it's there somewhere, I'm sure. Ten people. <laughs> No, you know, the biggest thing with me is it's the pre-record, right? 
And if you're not paying attention and you're just lollygagging and then you, you have this awesome behavior and then you forget to hit the pre-record, you know, to activate it, that's when you have the almost, almost awesome sequence. Almost awesome wildlife shots. Yeah. All right. Well, enough of that. I think uh, let's bounce into our interview with Cynthia Bondarek from Costa Rica. Okay, now you guys ready? Tonight we're joined by Cynthia Bondarek. That's correct, right? Yeah. I've practiced that three or four times now. (laughs) And you're coming to us from Costa Rica. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. We talked before we got online. We're about an hour difference from Costa Rica to uh, Colorado. So the timing's not too bad. And Drew, I guess you're what? Two hours? You're East east Coast time or Central? Central. Central. Central time. All right. So we're all about in the same same zone. We were talking to you before we got on the podcast that Cynthia is down at plus 28 degrees Celsius and Drew is currently at minus 28 degrees Celsius. (laughs) What a difference it makes. Quite the span. So Cynthia, give us a little bit of background on you and then your photography. And then from there, I think we'll just have a generic com- or not. A, a, we'll just have an organic conversation as far as getting into some of the specific things that you do. Okay. Um, what can I say? So I fell in love with nature when I was a child. Uh, and that led me to study ecology first and then the career of field naturalist. And while I was studying my second career and as a field naturalist, um, I discovered photography. I had to go outside to take data in the field. Uh, I was in, in that moment studying uh, frogs, amphibians. So that led me to, I found myself in the middle of the swamp at night looking for frogs. And I was taking pictures with a pocket camera uh, of the animals that I found at night and I fell in love with photography. So after that, I bought a better camera, a Sony Cybershot and I started there to study and study and study. And then I, I can buy, I could buy a Canon. And now here I am living in the jungle, <laughs> looking for animals to photograph. Yeah, but yeah, my background is in biology. So, and just you—you you mentioned uh, that you just moved to Costa Rica a couple of years ago. Where were you before that? In Argentina. Yeah, I am in what from part Argentina, of Argentina. In Buenos Aires, in the middle of the city. That wasn't a place for me. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, what, I, was there one thing? Was there one thing that? So, you're in the city. So how did you, how did you say, oh, frogs, where, where, how do you get from the city to the frogs? No, nature was always part of me. Uh, when I was a really child, I was, I don't know, five years old, I started to draw, draw and painting and I was painting uh, animals, always was animals and study the, the career I, I fell in love also with frogs and with, with amphibians they are really charismatic and I love to be in nature at night because it's a completely different world that during the day right yeah so 
I don't know, just frog, <laughs> frogs. Yeah. Well, I saw that you did some work at uh, at the um, Botanical Institute, and then you were also working at the museum, Science Museum, too. Is yeah. that some of that early kind of exploration into nature? Since you lived in the city, that was the closest place that you could go and be exposed to it? Uh, yeah, they are near my house. There are uh, some urban reserve, natural reserve. And always my holidays, my vacation always was in nature. <laughs> I always bring uh, my tent and camping in national parks on different places. Until 2018 that uh, I made my first travel, my, my first trip to Costa Rica here. I came here alone just with my camera one, ma one month to make photography. And that started the adventure. The big adventure then was uh, uh, Ecuador, the Amazon, and the Choco Forest. Also, I travel alone with my camera. And now just I decide to move here and stay in contact with nature and yeah, try to make a living from, from photography and from biology. So how's that working out? What's the climate like down there? Not not the weather climate, but what's the climate as far as work and making a living as a photographer and doing stuff in Costa Rica? Is it uh, something that's doable or is it just like everywhere else where it's very hard to make a living uh, as a wildlife not, photographer? Not easy. I think like everywhere, everywhere else, it's not easy. But I here I'm trying to also do, I guide in in the national parks or in private reserves. I also teach photography. I had some clients, but mainly with uh, guiding, guiding people into the forest during the day or at night looking for animals also. But no easy, no, it's no easy. <laughs> well, you actually offer private workshops, right, in Costa Rica yeah. that people can sign up for, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a client last year. I was living in in the Osa Peninsula um, last year in a place really wild, off grid. I was living without internet, without electricity in my bedroom, just in the common area of the lodge. So I was living in that condition, in those conditions. But the place is amazing. It's next to Corcovado National Park. It's really wild. Um, yeah, I had a client there. I make several uh, private mentorship and workshops there. So what would someone need if they wanted to get into macro photography? You can't just use a regular lens for that, right? Uh, the first thing you need is patience. <laughs> 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 a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, no, and then a, a camera and macro lens if you have one. Uh, if you don't have one, you can use some accessories like uh, close-up lenses or extension extension tubes to to start with the, the technique, and it's fine. Works really well. I start that way. Um, yeah, and flash. Mm, I all my work is uh, with flash and a diffuser. Because the condition in macro zone, they, they are so extreme that flash helps a lot. Managing the light help, helps a lot, yeah. So what is it that attracted you to the macro? What is it that attracted you to that, just that view? And no, it's it's spectacular. And it's every time I see any kind of macro photography, I'm always awe-inspired. But I mean, just getting to see what you guys see on a regular basis is pretty cool. 
but how do you go from, I want to be a photographer to, I want to be a macro photographer? Oh, the thing is that when I discovered photography, I was in the, in the swamp looking for frogs at night. So I just started doing macro. I started that way. And I realized that when you do macro photography and when you look through the viewfinder, you discover a new world because when you're photographing birds, you can see the bird with your eyes. But when you are photographing these little animals and living beings, you discover them through the lens because our naked eye can't see those details and sometimes even the color. Sometimes you see a black box flying around and when you take the picture, the box is in, in fact red on turquoise or yeah, full of color and our eyes can see th those colors. So yeah, it's, it's always being discovered a new universe, a structure, adaptation, behaviors that our eyes can see. So it's, yeah, for me, it's amazing. When, when you go out into the forest with your macro setup, are you looking for specific things or do you like to go out with just whatever, whatever comes your way? What's your, what's your preference? Oh, sometimes I, I want to find several species or specific species, but with this tiny world it's always a surprise because you you never know and probably i you can discover new species also because it's it's a so biodiverse universe yeah so sometimes i have several species in mind but yeah it's always discovered also in the forest <laughs> <laughs> do you have yeah. a favorite species is it the frogs um, Frogs, I love frogs, but in in the world of insects, one well, I love spiders, and also I love the tree hoppers. They are my favorites, the tree hoppers. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I suppose you don't know what it is. <laughs> no. Okay, what is it? So Tell us what that is. It's, it's it's a kind of insect, but I sent several pictures so you can see in my picture. <laughs> yeah. So a range of a of an animal. Let's let's talk about like a mammal is is fairly large, right? But I'm assuming that the range on some of these macro level species that you're photographing is pretty darn small. So if you're photographing something specific in one national park, it, are chances good that you'll find that same species in another national park in Costa Rica? Or when you go to from park to park to park, does it change enough? that you see different stuff in all the different places? Uh, no, depend. Depend on the species. Um, you have frogs that live just in certain parts of Costa Rica, on certain parts of the mountain. And there are others that have a wider range. So, And with insects, I found the same insects, some that live in Argentina, some of them are living here also. So depend of, depend of the species. Right. And then how much variety between the species? Do you see a, a significant variety within the same species at in different locations? Like, for example, color or maybe size or things like that? Uh, and, and in frogs, it's more common. In insects, it's not so common. It's just the same, the same animal. If it's different, probably it's a different species. So when I was doing research prior to the podcast, I saw where you were showing some of the bites and stuff that you had on your arms. I was looking, yeah. I was watching another <laughs> podcast and she's just covered in, well, one arm was covered 
covered in bites. And the other one had bites too, but one was really bad. Yeah. How much, I mean, is there anything out there that's going to make you super sick or is this all pretty much just like mosquitoes and things like that that are just annoying? Yeah, that's why where uh, sun flies. That that picture was in Ecuador. Yeah. Uh, In the Choco Forest. Yeah, you can get sick from mosquitoes, from ticks, from sunflies. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just the way it is. Yeah. Is there any precautions that you can have or do you just go into the night I, every night just saying, well, yeah. I hope I don't get something tonight? Yeah, I, I just don't use anything to avoid the mosquitoes because it's, it's bad for the for the animals, especially for the frogs. You can damage the frog, so I don't use anything. So just if they bite, they bite. <laughs> So when you're doing the macro stuff, are you pretty much finding an animal or a, a whatever your subject is in a particular position and then you're shooting that exact spot? Or do you move them to get them into a more, into a better situation so that you can actually frame it up so that you can better tell the story about that, that species? No, no, I don't move the subject. Uh, I... I, in, in macro photography happen a lot of things and I think bad things because um, the, the ethical rules that you can follow doing wildlife photography seems like in macro photography it doesn't exist for um, a lot of photographers but my work is completely ethical so I don't move the animals and I don't take out from the forest and bring home to take the picture because some of photographers do that. There are photographers that place the animals, that the frogs or insects in the fridge so they can lower the metabolism and that way be able to take the picture. But I don't do anything of that. Um, yeah. So no, I try to take the picture just in, in, the, in the place the, the I found the, the animal. So with macro for me, oh, I'm sorry, say that again. No, all my work is real, no? It's just the the behavior I found in the forest and the position they are in the forest. I try not to disturb them. So from from someone that doesn't film or shoot in Costa Rica and for someone that doesn't do macro, my assumption is no matter what, every night you go out, you're going to find something cool to to. Photograph. Yeah. yeah. Is true. that true or is it like, I mean, there's days when I'll go out and try to shoot some big mammal and it's just the weather's bad, the the animal's not there, the, I don't know, something's just not going to work out. But my assumption is weather is mostly pretty consistent unless you're dealing with hurricanes or something like that. And there's always going to be some little macro thing out there that is interesting and fun to photograph. Is that true or, or not? Uh, it's true and it's not true because sometimes, uh, and I don't know why, the forest is really quiet and you walk and walk and walk at night and you can't find anything. Uh, the frogs disappear, nothing, and you go the next day and it's full of life. Uh, sometimes it depends on the moon or the condition, the humidity. So, But you can do macro of everything you can do macro uh, the plants the leaves and the texture of the the trees on the forest so yeah if you want to do photography you can do that the same way 
<laughs> so what's the market like for that kind of work? I would assume how much is global warming affecting what you see in a tropical region like that? Uh, a lot. Is and it? In, yeah, a lot. And insects are disappearing. It's really bad. Insects and also frogs, right? But uh, insects are declining. Declining. And is that something that you see firsthand? Like if, you, if you're out photographing glaciers, for example, it's pretty easy to see the, the receding of the, of the glacier itself. Have you been out, say, five years ago and saw insects that you no longer see? Or what, what's an example of what you are seeing that, that tells that story? Yeah, um, years ago, you, you go out in the jungle and you were able to see a lot of insects in, on the leaves during the day and during the night. And today, it's really difficult to find animals. It's more easy to find them, for example, in open areas, in grasslands or near the, the trails where the sun comes uh, and you have a lot of flower, for example, but in the forest, uh, it's really difficult now to find insects. Yeah. And there are several studies that, that are telling that, right, around the world. Yeah. It's sad. We had a kid on our podcast, uh, well, the last podcast that we just put out, um, and he was, he's in school right now. He's 22 years old. He's studying biology. And I was talking to him the other day, and he had to do a paper on assassin bugs. Are you familiar with assassin bugs? Of course. <laughs> and he was, and I wasn't that familiar with them. I mean, I've seen them before, but I really never, I didn't know any of the biology behind it. But he said that's one of those species that is moving it's moving its range based on this global warming phenomena. Is that something that you see or is that something that you photograph a lot? Uh, yeah, for example, there is, um, here we have a spider that is called golden web spider. And now the spider is in Argentina also because the, the weather is getting, uh, yeah, hot. So yeah, the, the ranges of the species are changing also. So what changes in Costa Rica? Because you would assume that it's going to be humid, lots of moisture year round. Is that the case or am I just being not very well educated? No, no. no. Costa Rica, Costa Rica has two seasons really marked, the dry season and the rainy season. Now we are in the dry season. But um, the climate change affecting Costa Rica is getting dry. Really, yeah. it's getting drier. Yeah, it's getting dry. so, so there's yeah. got to be a lot of plant species that are affected just as much as the insect species yeah. too, yeah. right? No, it's still humid because it's the tropics. <laughs> and right. in the rainy season, we have a lot of rain. But yeah, it's getting drier. Do you guys, I, I don't want to commandeer the whole conversation. Do you guys, if you guys have something, just jump in. I'm just like keeping up with all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think back to, to when I was in Costa Rica and some of the, the place names are, are familiar. So as you've been in Costa Rica and exploring, what are, uh, what are some of your favorite parks in Costa Rica? The, fa the favorite part of Costa Rica is the Osa Peninsula because it's the wildest. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's the, the more humid as the, it's the rainforest itself because now I, I am here in Montezuma. It's a town in the 
Nicosia Peninsula. And the, here the forest is a transition between the dry forest from the north of Costa Rica, Guanacaste, uh, in the transition to the south of rainforest. So it's a mix between the dry forest and rain, rainforest here. But my favorite part is, yeah, definitely the, the Osa Peninsula, the south of Costa Rica. Yeah, and there is the Corcovado National Park. And how big is that national park as far as like acres? Is, is that something you know offhand? I'm just trying to compare it to a like a North American. It's big, but compared, for example, for the national park in Argentina, it's small because Costa Rica is a really small country, right? Right, so, right. Yeah. So is that a park that you can cover quite a few quite a big distance in in a night worth of photography or when you well, have now, a specific species that you're going to go after you just know that oh, i'm just got to go to this area and that's all i have to work tonight okay the the park now has a regulation you you can enter just with a guide and, and the night tours are forbidden so you can go out at night but the place I was living the last year was next to Corcovado National Park. So the ecosystem was exactly the same. Um, there, yeah. Um, we have several trails there. One is uh, about nine kilometers. Other is uh, 15 kilometers. So you can walk that through the jungle. So give us a, an idea of what you're carrying into the woods. Because if you're using the flash and you're using your camera and you're not trying to disturb the animal at all or the species at all are you taking little tripods to hold up your flash in a certain area or are you just hand holding a flash and holding your camera and and doing the splits and doing somersaults and getting a james bond picture exactly <laughs> exactly that <laughs> no i don't use tripod i don't i don't feel comfortable using tripod and also because in macro the the working distance are really short so you need to stay really close to the subject. And if you place the, for example, you find a bug or a frog on, on a tree or on a plant and you have to place the tripod there, you have to place the tripod over the plant. So we, you will move the plant, you will, the insect fl will fly away and yeah. So it, for me, it's not comfortable. So for that reason, I use flash during the day and during the night and all, all handheld. Yeah. And I, I do acrobatics. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw some videos on your YouTube page where you're doing flips down the. Oh, yeah. Down the, so, um, yeah. Well, and by the way, she can play the guitar too. So she's like multi-talented in so many ways. But when you're using flash, are you using one of those little like, I don't know, I've just seen pictures of it. And I don't know very much about macro at all, but it was like a little dome almost thing that goes right over your lens and it's very concentrated light and and you probably have to have that to get that exposure difference that you get in a lot of your pictures where the background can go completely black but you've got your your subject highlighted or lit really well what what exactly do you use when you're when you're using flash uh, that's called a diffuser we call diffuser and um that um, make the light softer because if you use the flash alone without the diffuser, the light in, for, for example, frogs are always wet. So if you trigger the flash without a diffuser, you will get the, the specular reflection on the frog. So it's no good. I and mean, with insects, it happens the same. So the diffuser is to make the, the light softer and more even, more evolved uh, around the subject. 
that's the reason we use that. And also because um, the, the impact of the flash in the subject is not so harsh, no? right? It's because you are really close to the animals, so if you trigger the flash without the diffuser, the impact on, on the on the subject is is harsh. So, for so how long did it take you to figure out that? I mean, because I I got to figure that you'll go out thinking, and I guess digital makes a huge difference, right? Because you can see the results on the back of your camera pretty good, but. Mm -hmm. How long did it take to figure out your technique and know that when you see a certain, you have a certain situation in front of you, you're like, oh, I do this, this, and this, and it's going to be perfect. Or is this constantly a trial and error thing that you're trying to figure out with every different uh, subject or every different situation you run across? Oh, I, I am doing photography since 2007. So that's a couple of years trying to figure it out <laughs> what's working, what doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, normally, I, I will always, I always know what will have a, of a result of the image. But always you can change. Of course, you can see the image with digital photography. You can see the result and change the, the parameters and and try something different, right? But yeah. Do you have a favorite pose for, like, if we're photographing bears or if we're photographing some sort of large ungulate or a large mammal, you always have a favorite pose, or I do. You know, it's something that it might be a certain look, it might be a certain stance, it might be a certain something. Do you have that with insects where you're like, oh, I just love to get it where I can just see their eyeballs and I can just have everything in the background go black and I get a lot of, uh, you know, um, detail in a certain part of the, the, the species or does that not matter because everything is so different? Well, that depends on the species and depend with frogs. I, I try to move around the frog and look for different perspectives to get different frames and different posture of the animal and with insects the same depending on the insect sometimes I, I want to show the the eyes of the face or sometimes the the color and I take the picture from the side because the the, the insect is really colorful so I want I want to show you that to show that so depending of the insect or depending of the animal or depending also the situation sometimes I can move around and sometimes I, I I can't. So sometimes it's what you get, and sometimes you can play. And sometimes you shoot, uh, you take a picture of the insect, and then just fly away. You just you lose the opportunity to play around. So that's complicated because you need to stay really close. So for that reason, patience is really important, <laughs> and move as, as slowly. Yeah. Well, I was doing a little math. I I, I looked it up in Corcovado National Park, uh, and then I did the conversion from hectares to acres. That's why I was, I was sitting here. We probably saw steam coming out of my ears and uh, it's about 105,000 acres, uh, which is about the same size as uh, great sand dunes national park in the United States. So just for, for reference. And I was trying to think back to, to places I've been down there. And so Drake Bay, is that right? Yeah. Near there. Okay. So I, I'm trying to zero in on where where we're talking about. So I do know do know that area a little bit. I think I got. Well, that's what I was getting at there. earlier. I was just so you know, it's just 
if you've never been to a place and you just hear about it and you think about it on a map and you're like, oh, it's not that, it's not that big. It's so deceiving, right? Because 105,000 acres is huge. I mean, there's no way you're going to cover all that. And if you're doing what you're doing, Cynthia, I mean, you could spend five years and always see something different in that yeah. kind of space. Yeah. yeah, but Corcovado National Park is a good place to see mammals, big mammals. It's the best place in Costa Rica to see big mammals. Like what kind, of, what kind of mammals would you mm -hmm. see down there? Monkeys and tapir and um, I don't know um, monkeys. We have four species there that live there in the park. Uh, also big cats, right? It's difficult to find it, but they are they are seeing a lot of uh, cougar now in the Corcovado National Park. But we also have uh, the jaguar and yeah, the small cats, ocelot, margai, and all the cats. How often do you get to see things like that? No, no, no. It's so difficult. I saw, uh, the last year I saw the pups, uh, the traits of the, the cougar and the, the shower in the same place. So the, in the trail we, we were doing that night. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really difficult. But I know that the guys that go frequently there, they saw cougars in the shower. It's no easy because the, the the environment is really lush and dense. So spot animals there is harsh. Such a diverse animal. The the cougar can go from so many mm -hmm. habitats. It's just crazy to me that they. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because you got them all the way down in Argentina and all the way up mm -hmm. to the northern border or all the way into Canada. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, to describe what you go out, what you have when you go out at night. Are you wearing, I'm assuming you're wearing shorts, a t-shirt. I saw a picture of you in rubber boots and you have your backpack. And is that, is that you? Is that what you're going out with? Or yeah. tell yeah, us what you go out with when you head out. No, but during the day I can use shorts, but at night I always, I always uh, use uh, long pants because it's a bit dangerous for the snake. And for that reason, it's the rubber boots. It's not for the mud, it's for protection of the, the snakes. We have several dangerous snakes here and they are really ab abundant. So yeah, and so yeah, uh, long pants, rubber boots, my flashlight and my camera and the backpack. <laughs> and then most of the time, are you going out solo or you do you have uh, some friends that are also into it whether they're researchers or whatever i mean do you is it safe to go out solo with all those snakes and biting things or do you do you always make sure you have someone with you i don't know both sometimes i i go alone and sometimes with other people but i feel really safe in the shangri at night so i can i can go outside uh, alone uh, I feel safer in the jungle than in the city. <laughs> so, <laughs> definitely. No. So, what you type of snakes are down there that uh, are poisonous? The most common is Ferdalans. It's a Botrops, Asper. Botrops, Asper is a, the scientific name. Yeah, that is really common. And the, most of the accidents here with snakes is with the Ferdalans. And is that something you try to photograph too? Is that something that you'll, yeah. if you get one that's that's cooperative, will you try to photograph it, or do you not want to get that close? Yeah, I and, and I 
photograph I have a photograph made with a, with the macro lens so you, you need to stay really close <laughs> yeah yeah what was that like were you nervous no that's, I I don't know uh, I love so much animals and I try to interpret the, the, the behavior of the animal and always the knowledge helps because knowing how the animals behave helps a lot. So, no. So was that something where you just stumbled upon it and you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get a photo of this or was it, you went out looking for it specifically? No, I, like I said before, I go out and mm, the jungle can surprise you always. So. Sometimes you find what what are you looking for, and sometimes you find even better things or better, more strange thing that is difficult to find. Wow, I don't know no. if I could do that. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> if you came here, I can guide you through the forest at night. <laughs> when I was yeah. in Corcovado, we were we were out. Well, we found like a coral snake and all sorts of all sorts of fascinating wildlife and. It was really hot, so we stopped and took a lot of breaks throughout the course of our adventure. And all of a sudden, we heard something rustling. And so I'm, you know, coming from Alaska to Costa Rica. I I, I instantly start thinking bear. And uh, so, and then, then out lumbers a uh, uh, an anteater, tamandua, yeah. comes out, and then it goes yeah. up the tree. You know, it's just so amazing. And I've always been impressed, you know, living in, in the north where we don't have much... Uh, biodiversity in terms of, of like trees or things like that. And I would talk to my guide friends who live in like Costa Rica or uh, some places down South and they'll say, Oh, we have 243 different kind of species of tree per hectare. And I look around, and I'm like, we've got four. <laughs> it's just so much easier <laughs> for identifying things up here. Cause there are only so many things that can possibly be. That's the reason why I'm, I'm here because I love the biodiversity of tropics. Mm -hmm. It's so diverse and so intense. I love here. So what was it like moving to a different country during a COVID pandemic? Wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't easy, but here, here I am trying to find a way yeah, to make a living of what I love. Um, but I am happy. It wasn't easy, but uh, I am happy with the decision because I, I was feeling stuck in Argentina, frustrated, living in the city. It wasn't, wasn't my place. So, yeah, no, no easy. I moved here alone, so also, and without, without a plan and without money. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just jump to the abyss. Yeah. I survived. So two years, I, I survived. So, yeah. Good experience. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to put pictures that Cynthia sent, sent us up in the show notes. So you're going to get to see some of this really cool wildlife. And one of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast is patience. Yeah. And I think if you look at these pictures, you're going to be like, yeah, there's, mm -hmm. I don't know how you get this to happen. And I can't imagine if you were having to, find a species in a certain setting and you're not moving it. So you're going to shoot it where you find it to get these compositions that you have are pretty dang spectacular. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about that patience, because it's got to be so frustrating where you get, you find something, you get set up on it and 
it flies away or it jumps off or it just turns a little bit and you no longer have that composition that is what you had in your mind when you were going to sit down to take the photograph. Talk to us a little bit about that patience aspect of things. Yeah, well, patience is fundamental. <laughs> but um, the thing is, the insects I photograph, sometimes they are really, 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 really small. Sometimes measure less than a millimeter. So they are just a, a point, black point in a leaf. So make the composition is not so difficult because you just have the one millimeter bag and then you can move around. It's easy to move around because the animals are really small. So it's not so difficult to make a good composition because of that. With frogs, it's a bit more difficult because the frogs are bigger than the insects. Um, yeah, sometimes they are in an uncomfortable position on too high or too low, so it's not so easy. And sometimes you have a lot of vegetation behind the animal. But with the insects that are really small, it's not so complicated. And also because the macro lens makes the background, the, the depth of field is so small that makes the background blurry, so you can play with that easily, right? So... But yeah, you have to be really patient because imagine I work on, I do a manual focus. I work all my setting in manual and I use my flash also in manual. So I, 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 I use all, all the, the parameters to take the picture I want, not the, the, the one the camera wants. <laughs> so yeah. So. Imagine that the depth of field is really small and you need to get really, really close to the animal. And something I, I always teach my student when I teach photography is then when you are magnifying the animal with the lens, you are also magnifying all the movements around. So some, sometimes it's a little breeze in the, in the environment. When you look through them, you find that it's a tsunami the other side. And you have to do focus, manual focus, with the, uh, that situation. So it's not easy for a reason. You need a lot of patience because, yeah. And the way I do the focus is just uh, I choose the magnification I want for the sub for the frame, and then I move, move a little for back and forth until the focus plane match the part of the insect I want in focus because it's just the eye and the rest of the insect will appear out of focus. So yeah, you need a lot of patience for that. And yeah, a lot of time that you get closer and the animal fly away. <laughs> yeah. So you're, but, uh, you're not just a photographer, you're an artist of, of many different varieties. So you're a painter, you're an illustrator. How, do you find, or how, how do your different uh, creative outlets work together? Like how does your painting influence your photography or your photography influence your illustrations? Yeah, I think um, they go together, right? So my photography helped me in my painting and my painting helped me in my photography. Uh, learn about composition is great for for painting and also for photography. So yeah, it's, I think they go together. How 
many pictures do you take of a species when you're like, I'm like, well, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. Let's go. I, let's go to one that I know. <laughs> so I, there's a picture of an ant. I don't know what kind of ant this is, but it's super cool looking. And it looks like yeah. it's almost on a pine tree or something, but <clears throat> to get this picture, how many shots do you take? Or is it so, so controlled as far as you just know it so well that you can get five or 10 or 20 and you're good? Or are you taking hundreds of pictures just to find that one really special one? Uh, depends. I, I got picture that just had the opportunity to just one shot and the, the animal fly away. And I have a good picture of that animal. But in other, in other um, cases, I have to, like I teach my student, you, you need to take 10 pictures and one will in focus. The rest will be out of focus because it's so extreme that it's that way. It's, it's, I, I, I've been doing this from since 2007 and it's always the same. You can practice and practice and you, you get better. But it's always it's so extreme that it's always that way. So you will have you will shoot ten ten times and just one picture in focus and the rest out of focus or the focus in the part the insect that you don't want. So, yeah. Well, you guys got to go out and check out this ant picture. It's it's spectacular. Yeah. Where I mean, you just where the you look looking? of it. So she sent us some pictures. You may not have it, Drew, because I oh. downloaded it. But um, wow. I will. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and you can go download it. She put it or Michael's looking uh, at exclusive content there. I, I am looking. I'm at on her website content. here, looking at tree hoppers now. <laughs> I googled tree hoppers now. I can identify them. But the the ant. I mean, just the. So, what are you doing in post processing? Are you doing a lot of post work, or do you feel like you get it really solid in the camera, and then there's not much to do in post, or is there a lot? Uh, if you see my my feed in Instagram, you will see that the, just in a couple of months ago, I start to edit more the picture, but not changing anything. Just um, putting some mood on the images, um, but the picture is fine out of camera. If you see a couple of months ago, you will see the result out of camera. Just maybe some lower the highlights that sometimes with the flash gets really high in, in some part of the insect, just that. So the result is good out of camera. And then now I am exploring more that part of editing and make my, more moody the, the pictures and with well, my style. In today's yeah. world, I think you got to do it to compete. I mean, yeah, I, just doing a standard picture, I mean, it works and they're really well done. But I think to get that next level or to get that someone to stop on Instagram or someone to stop when they're re looking at a magazine and they see one of your pictures, you need to have that extra little bit, which a lot of times you can achieve in post-production. Again, this ant example, it's so cool. I mean, just the the detail on the side of the ant, it's so... Are you looking at it, Brandon? Yeah, it's insane. It is, in, it is insane. It's I know. A, she sent those pictures and I was like holy cow like this is a different world like this is something in space or something like all of them but the ant and like the ant's one of my favorites i think too. yeah me too it's just it's got everything it's got the mood it's got well I'm like if you zoom in on it like you can see all the little details and all the facets on its eye like i know it's 
It's pretty cool. And that's why I was talking about post-production, because you look at the side of the, I don't know what you call it, a mandible or whatever it is on the side, and it's very uh, shiny. It almost looks like it's reflecting a city lights in the background, right? But it's obviously not. It's just what's going on out there in nature. But the detail. So, And I think some of the things that you can do in post where you mess with the texture a little bit or sometimes a little bit of clarity, and you definitely have a look to your images. They're not... You know, a lot of times you see this stuff and it's so saturated. I don't think yours come across that way. Yours come across very subtly awesome is what I would say. They're very subtle, but they're, they have everything needed for a photograph. Uh, at the beginning, um, because I was photographing and my, my aim was to show the people a world that nobody pays attention. So... In the beginning, I didn't want to edit too much because I want to show that, no, right, the, the world that nobody see, sees. So, but now I am trying to, yeah, to, to add a little more and get more artistic frames. Is this a chameleon in the? Again, you guys are gonna have to go look at the show notes. But is this a chameleon <laughs> on that branch? Uh, it's it's not a chameleon because we don't have here. Chameleons is a kind of lizard, casket lizard, they call. Yeah, it's a kind of lizard that we have here. It's similar to chameleon, but it's not. It's so awesome looking. It's just, it very much looks like a chameleon, you know, kind of, sort of, yeah. but not really. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think sense? my other one is that green frog with the red eyes peeking over the, the leaf. Like, I mean... How long do you have to wait for some of this stuff? Like that's why I asked the question about patience. I mean, I she's got to be the most patient person on the planet. Well, so I have a funny story. So we we had our wild and exposed homework, right? That we talked about the shot that could have been great. And so I, I asked her, and when we were going through all this stuff and asking for these photos, I said, "Think of something that could have been great." And she kind of just laughed because she was like, "What did you tell me?" In macro happen all the time because yeah you get <laughs> ten picture out of focus one in focus <laughs> if you are lucky. <laughs> and so I can only imagine with seeing some of these, but yeah, I just like the patient. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Now some of these pictures look. In, there's some that are obviously done at night, but then there's others that have the influence of daylight too. And I'm sure the canopy that you're photographing under is pretty solid so it's pretty dark down in the forest mm -hmm. or in the in the well i guess forest is fine how much do you do during the day or how much do you see and shoot with during the day and i'm sure you're probably still using flash to supplement light at those times too is that correct yeah i use flash during the day and during night and sometimes i i set my camera just to let the flash get inside and sometimes I want to play with natural light and artificial light and uh, set my camera to get the natural light. For example, the, the picture I, I didn't send you, that picture, but it's the Ferdinand snake, the one that is, is uh, dangerous. And I took that picture with a macro lens and you can see that the snake is uh, with the light of the flash and then you have the light in the background. It's natural light. So I, I, I set my camera to get the light, the natural light, get inside. But most of the time, I just um, block, block the natural light and just work with the, with the flash. 
Yeah, so I can control everything. Did I miss when you were talking about uh, your 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 camera setup? Do you use extension tubes? Um, sometimes, yeah, with a macro lens, and sometimes if the animal is really small, sometimes I use the extension tubes, the macro lens, and in the front of the the, the lens, I use a Rhinox DCR. 250 that's a close-up lens achromatic that's really good quality so yeah uh, so with that i can reach four one magnification four to one magnification because the macro lens i have is just one to one so with the close-up lens and with the extension tubes i get four to one something like that do you ever use multiple flashes or is it always just one no just one yeah because I, I need to hold the flash, I need to hold the camera. <laughs> it's it's right. impossible. Yeah. yeah. So what Just is the camera time. gear that you're using? Because you said you talked about some of the cameras you started out with, but what are you using now and, and what kind of macro lens? Because I'm sure everybody's going to have questions about, you know, if you're getting four to one, obviously you're using other things to get to that. But if the lens you're using is one to one, what is that, and and what is some of the gear that you're using currently? Well, I have a Canon 6D and uh, 100 macro cannon and a flash Yongwo, nothing, nothing too modern. <laughs> yeah, just not, not the best equipment, but. Well, but you're getting spectacular results. So if this is what you're getting with that, I don't think you need anything else. I mean, I don't know what you would get better. Yeah, it's what, it's what I teach my students. It's the importance, not the GR. In fact, I published a book, I don't know if you saw in my website, uh, about insects, about arthropods, insects and spiders. And a lot of pictures that are published in the book were taken with the Sony Cybershot. And the pictures are amazing. So the important thing is now the, the GR. Of course, the technology helps. But if you manage to master the technique and have the patience, you can get a really amazing results with anything. Okay, so I totally agree that you can get, I mean, what you have is fine. And what I'm seeing is spectacular. But if somebody came to you and said, you can have whatever you want, camera and lens, anything new off the shelf, is there something that you have your eye on that you'd be like, oh, I really love to try that out? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I want a what mirrorless. No, a mirrorless. I want one of them. But so you want to go mirrorless, future. but but to me, for macro, the the important thing is the lens, right? Is there a lens out there that you really would be like that would be the coolest thing to have? Uh, I don't know because I have the 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 cheaper option of the one hundred macro. Maybe the the better one. <laughs> yeah, but. No, I don't think I need something more. I am now exploring with a wide-angle wide macro lens. Yeah, so now I am exploring with that. It's even more difficult because you need to stay really more close with the macro lens to the animal. So even more challenging. So the reason for that is just so you can show more of the habitat? Yeah along with the macro i mean i yeah. think that's the movement in all wildlife photography even mm -hmm. with big ungulates or yeah. big mammals Small in frame <laughs> yeah you want to well you want to get a big animal and a big landscape all in the same image which oftentimes if you're trying to photograph moose means you're really dang close and mm -hmm. so close that you probably shouldn't be there but um <laughs> it 
I think that's the the move. That's what people want to see. And it tells a better story. And if you're doing conservation type photography, that's what you want to show is you want to show that canopy or that forest or that grassland and the the species that you're highlighting. So that would be kind of cool. Definitely. Have you messed around with any compositions or what do you, what do you call it? Um, Not compositions, but uh, where you can take, well, Drew, you do it all the time where you stitch images together. Have you tried that where you stitch images where you take that macro and then you move over and move over and then stitch something together? Mm, no, just one picture. My work is just one picture. Uh, I I don't use the stack um, focus stacking. For macro, a lot of photographers use a focus stacking technique. I don't like that. Um, I don't use it. Just one shot. Wow, that may, that's just even crazy. That, I mean, that's amazing <laughs> looking at this stuff. Right. Uh, but it makes me wonder with some of these new cameras, like you know, the R5s and stuff like that, how would I detect work on a spider? <laughs> would it know where to with go? Eight, no, eight, eight, <laughs> eight eyes. It's completely difficult for cameras. <laughs> yeah. That'll be that'll be your yeah, challenge, Michael. You can get some uh, extension tubes and. Uh, <laughs> try to do some macro video well you know that's what i was i was that was going to be my next question because if, have you tried a lot of video with macro or i mean i guess it's going to be hard because yeah, if you're hand so holding, hard. i mean yeah there's just but, no way you yeah. have to be on a tripod yeah in that case yeah you need to be in a tripod and yeah so not, i've done not, it once i shot video with macro lenses and i was using a, a sensor that was multiplied right so i had the benefit of that multiplication or that crop Mm -hmm. sensor in the in the video camera and i was on a tripod but the problem is is when you're shooting something so macro like that the minute movement even a little breeze like you were saying earlier cynthia i mean just a little breeze looks like you're an amateur camera operator because everything's (laughs) vibrating and it's really not you at all it's the breeze Mm -hmm. so the only way i could find success was i had to go to a greenhouse because the greenhouse would still give me mm-hmm. the natural light, but I was able to control that wind because that was the the killer of the whole thing. Now, I have seen people go out into the wild and they'll set up a dome, almost like a blind, but you're photographing within that blind. So you're still in the natural world. You're still doing everything. You're not displacing the animal at all. And I didn't do that either. What I was shooting when I was doing it was ladybugs and praying mantis when I was shooting that macro video. And they were in the greenhouse. It wasn't like I brought them in there. They were already there. But I got to think video would be really tough. But it's got to be really cool, too, because the stories you could tell with video has got to be pretty cool. Yeah. Have you explored that at all? Not yet, but I want to do that. I want to get into video. Yeah. And also because the stories that exist in, the, in that tiny world are amazing, right? So... And nobody knows about that. You need to get your YouTube channel going with all the macro video stuff. Yeah. Because I'm sure the stories you can tell. I mean, I bet you could have a whole little series where you spend one, you do one video a day and you could probably take one acre of land in Costa Rica and you could tell a different story every day for 365 days with the macro stuff. Because it's always there, right? Definitely. I can spend just in one meter, hours and hours taking pictures. So imagine <laughs> just in one meter. 
Well, I've been taking notes while we've been talking because I, I, I got my first uh, set of extension tubes. Of course, it's the middle of winter, so I have no real insects to, to try them out on. But we've got a, we've got a bee here in, in Churchill and across the north that I want to try and I want to try and do some macro photography on and the, the Bombus polaris, the, the Arctic bee. So, no, yeah, I'm really excited to try it. Now, this just gets me all fired up for summer. It won't be well, here Drew, I think you, you don't need to wait. You can go out and do snowflakes. I can, but here the snowflakes are, they're moving real fast and they're the ice ones that go right into your eyeball because they're always moving horizontal at about 60 kilometers an hour. I don't Actually, know. You know what's really fun that uh, me and Dean just did was uh, you make bubbles and then you get them freeze and then you film it. And it's really cool. It's a lot harder than you'd think it would be. And you always have those cold temps. Brandon was telling me about his process. And he's got a special formula for the bubbles, too. You got to have a, it's a. Yeah, because normal bubbles won't, like they won't withstand the cold. So they just pop immediately. And so you got to whip up this special one. I'll send you my formula. Yeah, you got and a recipe. Just like mama used to make. I, yeah, it's better than your nuggets. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, so, you, but then you got to like blow it without it popping and so like you're trying to blow this thing through a straw and then it pops or the wind blows and then it pops and but if you can get it they spin while they're sitting there because of the the surface tension and then all these little ice crystals start forming on them and then it freezes over and then they just kind of if the wind blows or something the top will blow out but it'll just stay there it's the weirdest looking thing <laughs> but yeah do that try that send and it, i gotta tell you brandon Brandon was under the gun because he only, we had one day of minus 10 Fahrenheit and he's like, I got to do it tonight. It's going to warm up tomorrow and I won't get the bubble. So he got it all done. It was bad. I do have a breeze. Right, it's the, out of the wind. I'll do it in the breezeway. Yeah. yeah. You should try it. And then you can play with your macro stuff. And then when it's time to shoot the bee, then you're ready to go. It won't be a high pressure situation. Cause I've never used it before. Right. Yeah practice all right cynthia you talked a little bit about your book tell us a little bit more of where people could get the book and then where or anything else that you have going on like that 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 helps you out um yeah i you can find my book in my website the digital version because the physical version is just in argentina i have uh, several copies here to sell here but the, the the shipping costs are really high so for now, it's just in Argentina and here, the physical version. Um, the digital version, you can find in my website. Yeah. Very and, good. Yeah. The idea of the book was um, living in the city, the first uh, reaction that people has when they find a bug, it's just a step on it, <laughs> <laughs> right? So my the intention with the book was just through the photography that is in, in, impactful, because it's something that no nobody pays attention and it's something different. And then I write text telling stories of the this animal that kind of way to relate with uh, with our daily life. No, just I can give you an example. There are a kind of beetles that living in cold weather, really extreme cold weather, and they have a chemical in their in their bodies to avoid uh, get frozen. Uh, that chemical is called ethylene glycol, and result that that chemical is exactly exactly the same the the one that we use in the cars. 
for the same purpose. So the idea of the book, the book was connected uh, our daily life with the stories of these uh, little animals so that people can understand a little more about the value that they have in the ecosystem. So that was. The, That's the, awesome. Y'all need to go out and buy that book and support Cynthia because <clears throat> she's making a go of it and it's really cool photography and really cool stories and really cool imagery that she's putting out down there in Costa Rica. And I'm sure it would be nice to, to get a lot more of those, a lot more of the uh, published or a lot more of that digital copy out there. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, so if somebody wanted to come down and do a workshop, is there a better time than another as far as seasonality or like, do you say, right in between the dry season and the wet season is the best or is it does it matter um de depend the animals you want to photograph for frogs for example is the better time is the the beginning of the rainy season because the frogs in dry season are less active and a lot of them are just hiding in the ground or so in the beginning of the rainy season, the rainy season, they, they all go out and try to reproduce. So it's the best time is the beginning of the rainy season. Which is when? Uh, Depends on which part of the Costa Rica you, you will be. Uh, the Pacific side, we have now we are in dry season. The rainy season starts in May, in May to December. Yeah, in the rainy season. And it's the opposite in the Caribbean side. Really? That mm -hmm. is pretty cool. To have a country yeah. that does that small, but yeah. have that difference. And it's all just the bodies of water, I'm sure, that create that weather pattern, right? And the mountains. In the center of Costa Rica, you have all the mountains. So, yeah. Hmm. Was there anything that you, we haven't covered for that you feel would be important for your photography or some of your conservation stuff? I think we are good. Yeah, we talk about ethics. That for me is really important because, I, as I tell before, a lot of things happen. For example, here in Costa Rica, there are a lot of photographers, not just from here, from United States or from other countries, that they bring people here to make photo tours. And when it came to do macro photography, at the time to do macro photography, they bring a box with the frogs inside the box. And they cut a uh, flower on a helicon and they, they place the frog uh, on the leaf and the photo, the, the clients or the, the attendant of the workshop take the picture that way. And for me, it's not good. So my, my idea is I am working in a project to make photo tours here, uh, but a real one, no? exploring the jungle in a real way, not just with the animals in a box. I think that's great. I think if you can promote that, just less, mm -hmm. less influence and more real nature. I mean, if you're going to yeah. change something, change it in post, right? Yeah. If you have totally. to take out that branch, take it out in post. Don't yeah, cut it out totally. there in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they have, a, for example, frogs that are nocturnal. They have active during the day because the people want to take the picture. It's not good. And the, the animals are taken out of the nature and yeah places in in a in a cage several days so yeah it's not good but happen a lot here 
Well, thanks so much for your time. I'm glad that was fun to talk to you. And I would love, love, love to come down there and photograph some of that. I'd love to try the video. I just don't know. I mean, I think it would take a month of figuring out how you're going to control the wind and the light and blah, blah, blah. But it would be, I think the stuff you would get once you figured it out would be pretty epic. Thank you. Thanks to you for having me. was fun. Thanks for being on. One more thing before you go, and we're going to have this in the show notes. So we'll have... Cynthia's website and all that jazz. But can you just shout out your web address and your Instagram address so that people can find you once, if they're just listening to the podcast, driving down the road, at least they can jot it down and go find you. Of course. My website is CynthiaVandurek.com and my Instagram, CynthiaVandurek underscore uh, art, um, art photography. Very good. And like I say, we'll have links in the show notes to go to all these places and then if you're watching the video on YouTube, that link to your Instagram is right there. And I'm sure you have a link in your bio to get to all your other stuff. So if y'all want to see more stuff, check out the show notes page. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I think you might be seeing me here in the next year or two coming down to Costa Rica. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're going to make it someday. Nothing's going to get in our way.